Hello, and welcome to this podcast installment of Disciples. Disciples is the leading faith formation program for young adults in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. St. Louis Young Adults, in collaboration with the Paul VI Institute, is pleased to bring you these short, intellectually stimulating courses. Disciples courses, taught by an expert, offer a deeper look into topics that will help you understand and practice your faith more fully. We hope you enjoy this edition of the Disciples podcast. Thank you for helping us build a home for Catholic young adults in St. Louis. Let's go ahead and get started and let us remember they're in God's holy presence. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'd like to do um, break tonight into three parts. Uh, first of all, just finish the uh, little segment that we're dealing with, with why Easter is a rotating uh, date, why Christmas is always on December 21st. And then uh, I'd like to take a look at St. Augustine. And um, I was going to go ahead and put something together when I started realizing that uh, Bishop Barron has done a much better job than I could. And so we're going to watch his um, video on, uh, on St. Augustine. And then finally, at the very end, I'd like to just go ahead and brainstorm about what the firm foundations are. What, what's the basis for Catholic Christianity that we've been able to uncover over these past um, five weeks, okay? So last time we talked a little bit about Sunday and, uh, and why that is what it is. And then uh, a little bit about Easter and why Easter bounces around. It's mainly because of two different things. In the East, there's a, a great devotion to the Passover and to, and to the Last Supper. And so it's very important then in the East that they find the 15th day of Nisan and that that's when they would celebrate Easter. Okay. In the West, we're much more concerned about the resurrection. And so um, we come up with a, a different date as a result. And every year, the Eastern Church and the Western Church has Easter at a slightly different date. In the Council of Nicaea in 325, <clears throat> it was decided that the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox, would be Easter. So that's pretty easy. We all know when Sunday is. And we can pretty much tell when, when we have a full moon. But the hard part really is the spring equinox, knowing exactly when the spring equinox is. Nowadays, it's easy enough to do. You just look at a calendar. But prior to that, they had to work that out mathematically. And one of the ways of doing that was to Look at the day, and when the day is, is equally divided between day and night, 12 hours each, there you have the spring equinox, then you have the, um, uh, the um, fall equinox. And, uh, and, and then, so how do you do that? And we find that archaeologists of the Roman Empire, we find that, the, uh, that in the Roman Empire itself, people were obsessed with time. Sundials are all over the ancient world. And one of these interesting ones is this one right here, which is a portable sundial. It's like a pocket watch. 
So if you wanted to tell what time of day it was, you pull the thing out, you just set it down on the flat surface, and you can find out what time of day it is. So that's how they were able to figure out then when the spring equinox is. Remember that we're dealing with the Julian calendar. This is uh, Julius Caesar. He had hired a, an Egyptian astronomer by the name of Sosthenes, and, uh, and he rewrote the calendar entirely himself. So there are actually two uh, beginnings of the year. You have the civic year, which begins on January 1st, and we keep that today. And the other is the Julian calendar, which actually begins on March 1st. Interestingly enough, between January and March, you have February, and February among the Romans was considered to be a do-nothing month. Uh, remember, it's, a, it's a basically an agricultural society, and there's not much to do in February. So you kind of sit around. Now, the Julian calendar, we have a, a problem with Sosthenes, and that is trying to drive the lunar calendar with the solar calendar. And <clears throat> what he comes up with is he can't go 30 days uh, for a month. So he's, what he does is he bounces back and forth. One time it's 30 days, the next time it's 31 days. But even then he's off about a day or two. And so what he does then is he comes up with February, which is the do-nothing month, and he makes that 28 days long. But every, every once in a while, every four years or so, that's off by 24 hours. And so that's why, just like this year, he threw in leap year. So that's how we end up with the calendar that we end up with. And that's why we find ourselves uh, dealing with Easter bouncing around e either in the, the Western church or in the Eastern church. Any questions on that? Okay, so you're going to have your, you're going to have your uh, sundial, right? <clears throat> and the sun's going to come up, and you're going to watch the dial for 12 hours. And when that, the sunlight goes from, or, or the, the shadow actually goes from one spot to the other exact opposite spot, you know that the day then is, um, is uh, 12 hours long, and the night will be 12 hours long. That's how you end up with the spring equinox. There's a real problem, though. What if it's a stormy day? <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so that's uh, Easter. Now let's take a look at, uh, at uh, Christmas. Why is Christmas on December 25th? <clears throat> we know for a fact that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Biblically, we can know that because in Luke 2, in the 8th verse, it says the shepherds were in that region. The shepherds, there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping night watch over the flocks. They would not have been doing that in the wintertime. In Rome, December 22nd was considered to be the winter solstice. However, if you go a little bit further east and a little bit further south in Alexandria, they counted December 25th as the winter solstice. Now, in Rome, in 275, the emperor 
uh, Aurelian dedicated a temple there to the Sol Invictus, to the unconquered sun. And it would be celebrated then on the darkest day of the year, confident that the next day would be get, to get longer again. So the, the sun is not conquered even on the, uh, the, car, the um, uh, darkest day of the year. Okay, that's what's happening in Rome. Down in Alexandria, they're counting this as the 25th of December. And the fact of the matter is that in Alexandria, you've got the great libraries there, all the best scientists are there, all the best astronomers there, and so they assume that they're right because they're the best. Yeah. And so it turns out that the Christians absolutely ignore all of this. They don't celebrate the Sol Invictus either on the 22nd or the 25th. They simply don't celebrate it at all. That's until the year thir uh, 335. And what happens here is that the emperor at this point is the Emperor Constantine. Now his father was Constantius. He was one of the four emperors of the Roman Empire that was set up under Diocletian. And Constantius was a believer in the Sol Invictus. He worshiped the unconquered son. And he kind of passed that on to his, his own son. But what happens is that Const, uh, Constantine, when he converts to Christianity, and he won't be baptized until his last days, of right before he dies, but he is a convert to Christianity way before that. After the Battle of the Mulvian Bridge, he is a convinced Christian. He's just not baptized yet. And he declares then that December 25th, which is the Alexandrian uh, winter solstice, he declares that is the natal day of the Lord. And the Pope goes along with him. Pope Sylvester I goes along with him. And so the two of them make that declaration. Constantine gives a palace to the Pope. It, it, it had belonged to the Laterini family, and now it becomes the Lateran Palace. Uh, Pope still owns that palace today. Constantine also built a basilica on top of the trophy of Caius, as well as the ruins of the temple of Mithra. Think about that. Okay, what is the trophy of Caius? Remember? It was the um, it was the place where Saint Peter buried. Right. Yeah, and is there today? It's underneath the altar. But notice the Saint Peter's that you have there. Does not look like the same Saint Peter's. It's not. That Saint Peter's stood uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and finally, by the time you get to the Renaissance. It was a mess. It was falling apart. And that's when the popes decided to take it down and build the present St. Peter's that we have. But they built it right on top of the old St. Peter's. So the trophy of Caiaphas, Caius rather, is still directly beneath the, uh, the Baltichino. Uh, did the soul of this fall into the pantheon of Roman gods? You know, right. Or not? Was, right. Did it fit into there somewhere, or was it separate? Okay, remember we were saying that that each of the days was named after a, um, um, after a planet, which is a god, right? Okay, Sunday is his day. Yeah. Were they talking about Julian the Apostate? 
Not particularly. I didn't want to bring it up. I'll be happy to. <laughs> Why is he an apostate? Was he a Christian or was he? He was Christian, but he apostatized. He set up his own pagan religion. And he did it in such a way as to parallel the Christian religion because he believed that Christianity, and particularly one thing about Christianity that was very attractive, <clears throat> and his priests could not attract them unless they did the same thing, and that was charity. His church had to be grounded in charity. And in fact, Pope Benedict XVI, in his first encyclical, uh, Deus Caritas S, actually refers back to Julian the Apostate about the importance of charity in, in Christian belief. Notice that it's also built on, t on top of the temple of Mithra. What do we learn about Mithra? It was that cult of the Jewish uh, Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers. No, that was a different one. Okay. What did they use for their sacrifice? The what? No, that was the other one. That was the weird one that I, I mentioned. Okay. Bread and wine, which, which uh, mixed with water. Okay. So this is, I mean, building St. Peter's Basilica on top of the ruins of the Temple of Mithra is like right in your face. You know, th that was not an accident. <coughs> Another tie-in, in, in uh, 350 AD, there was a manuscript given to Pope Damasus, and it spoke about eight days, an octave between Christmas and January 1st. Now, actually, there are only six days between Christmas and January 1st, but if you include Christmas Day and you include January 1st, it can, turns out to be then eight days. December 25th is the natal day. January 1st is the civil New Year day, the secular world. So you've got the religious world, the secular world. Remember that Jesus rose on the first day of the week and the early church fathers saw that as being the eighth day of the week, that it breaks the, uh, the cosmic cycle, that the resurrection breaks out the cosmic cycle. So basically what we have then is Catholics go to Mass on Sunday. We saw last time around why we do that. We see, we know now why Easter is celebrated, but it bounces around in the spring, depending on what the sun is doing, depending on what the moon is doing, and depending on where you have the um, uh, first day of the week. Uh, last Sabbath, yeah. And then we see that, uh, so that Christmas is celebrated on December 25th. And the object there is to show that the invincible sun, I'm punning here, is countered by the invincible sun. Okay? Any questions on any of that? <laughs> Okay, well, give me a moment to go ahead and load up this uh, DVD on, uh, on St. Augustine. I think you'll uh, really enjoy it. It's really well done. It's everything Bishop Barron does is well done.
So in the uh, minutes that we have left, how would you kind of synthesize these five weeks together? One of the major things is that the church uh, derives its authority from God and as such has the power to forgive the name God created. Mm -hmm. Okay, 20th century of John's Gospel. Some other things. What, what about the nature of God? What about the nature of, of the incarnation? And, Yeah. What creates a strong institution to me was, you know, we have, of course, Christ's uh, assurance that he gave the covenant to go against the church. So we know that from 3380 onward, the cross is going to stand firm while the world threatens. But I just think it's so fascinating and impressive just to see how much, how similar the church is in, through various guises to the earliest generations of Christians. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Just really made an impression on me that he does really does care. This is the uh, the church. Yeah. I remember reading so many of the um, trials, and um, and they over and over again they ended. It didn't make any difference if they were in Egypt or in Palestine or North Africa, or Rome or Gaul. It, they the the trials ended with the the Christians shouting out Christianus sum. You know, and, and facing his uh, death as a result, but um, generation after generation, being willing to say that. There's an old saying also that the way you pray is the way you believe. And if you start changing the way you, pr you pray, your belief is going to change off in that direction too. I just want to know what kind of concrete examples you have for now. Like the, um, the one that's come to mind most quickly was the stuff with the mask, how even though it obviously has changed and has seen a lot of forms over the centuries, there are so many things that are identified 
um, there are a lot of people today who are trying to say, oh, we've never seen so much confusion in the church. We've never seen so many issues. Ah, everything's, everything's terrible. Everything's awful. And when you read church history, especially early church history, it kind of puts into context that, well, you know, it's bad, but, you know, it, there's, it, there's been different kind of things throughout history, and there's, um, it could be worse. You could be dying, you know, um, dying a martyr, um, which is actually probably a good thing, but, um, you know, in the things, um, it's, you know, not desirable. Um, so it could, I, I think this helps to put our current uh, situation in perspective a little bit. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> the politics. <laughs> yeah, there's hope for all of us. I thought it was really neat to see all the Jewish tradition that's within the mass. Yeah. Like how the the cup that's usually drank after dinner is the cup of redemption, and that's the cup that was used during the Last Supper, which is the same cup that we use every Sunday. Um, so that was. Yeah, I've been invited to my first Seder dinner, um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to attending that. This is um, the Association of Hebrew Catholics, so they're welding together the the um, Jewish nature of our religion, and, and yet along with Catholic uh, Catholic beliefs. Well, I'll leave you with one story that uh, Bishop Barron didn't tell about Augustine. I'm sorry he didn't, because it's kind of, it says an awful lot about him and about Monica also. Um, when he was going to leave and go to Rome, Monica found out about it, and she went to Carthage, and she said, if you're going to Rome, I'm going with you. And that's the last thing he wanted was his mother to go to Rome with him. <laughs> and, and so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he said to her, he said, okay, okay, the ship is leaving at 9 o'clock sharp. You've got to be, be at, the, at, at the harbor at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock. And she goes, okay, 9 o'clock. And she showed up at 9 o'clock, and the ship had left at 8. <laughs> <laughs> so there she is standing, looking out the Mediterranean as her son is heading off to Rome. And you know what she did? She got the next ship and went to Rome. <laughs> she's getting, you know, she's landing in a city of like 400,000 people, and she's going to find her son in that. So it's just, it's an incredible story between her and, and, and Augustine. Well, thank you very much. I have really enjoyed being here with you guys, and just, um, you know, good luck with your continued efforts. <laughs>